Our spiritual theme for the month of November is attention. And today, as we go global and explore the work of the Unitarian Universalist Service Committee, our attention, I hope, will be drawn to making beloved community, especially making beloved community across barriers of, of, of geography, of barriers of social location, barriers of life experience, to reach out our hands and our hearts throughout the globe. With that, let us enter into the spirit of worship, and I invite you to hear these words of hope from the Reverend Dr. Rebecca Parker. She says, your gifts, whatever you discover them to be, can be used to bless or curse the world. The mind's power, the strength of the hands, the reaches of the heart, the gift of speaking, listening, imagining, seeing, waiting. Any of these can feed the hungry, bind up wounds, welcome the stranger, praise what is sacred, do the work of justice, or offer love. Any of these can draw down the prison door, hoard bread, abandon the poor, obscure what is holy, comply with injustice, or withhold love. You must answer this question. What will you do with your gifts? Choose to bless the world. The choice to bless the world can take you into solitude. Into solitude to search for the sources of power and grace, native wisdom, healing, and liberation. Even more, the choice will draw you into community, the endeavor shared, the heritage passed on, the companionship of struggle, the importance of keeping faith, and the life of ritual and praise the comfort of human friendship, the company of earth, the chorus of life welcoming you. None of us alone can save the world. Together, that is another possibility waiting. Our reading this morning comes from the New Yorican Jewish poet, Aurora Levins Morales who's one of my favorites. And this poem is called Vahavta. And Vahavta is the first word of the lines that come after the great commandment in the Hebrew Bible, the great Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. And so the words that come after are the words that tell us how we are to love. And this is her interpretation of what those words might mean. Say these words when you lie down and when you rise up, when you go out and when you return in times of mourning, in times of joy, inscribe them on your doorposts, embroider them on your garments, tattoo them on your shoulders, teach them to your children, your neighbors. 
teach them to your enemies. Recite them in your sleep here in the cruel shadow of empire. Another world is possible. Thus spoke the prophet Rook Dalton. Altogether, they have more death than we, but all together, we have more life than they. There is more death in their hands than we could ever wield unless we lay down our souls to become them, and then we lose everything. So instead, imagine winning. This is your sacred task. This is your power. Imagine every detail of winning. Imagine the exact smell of the summer streets in which no one has been shot. The muscles you have never unclenched from worry now gone soft as newborn skin. The sparkling taste of food when we know that no one on earth is hungry. That the beggars are fed, that the old man under the bridge and the woman wrapping herself in thin sheets in the back of a car, and the children who suck on stones. Rest under a flock of roofs that keep multiplying that shelter. Lean with all your being towards that day when the poor of the world shake down a rain of good fortune out of the heavy clouds and justice rolls down like waters. Don't waver. Don't despair. Don't let that despair sink its sharp teeth into the throat with which you sing. Escalate your dreams. Make them burn so fiercely that you can follow them down any dark alleyway of history and not lose your way. Make them burn clear as a starry drinking gourd. Hold hands. Share water. Keep imagining so that we and the children of our children's children may live. She kind of keeps it real, doesn't she? So my dear ones, in my remarks this morning, I am going to encourage you to think about and reflect on and maybe even pray over your contribution or your investment in the Unitarian Universalist Service Committee. If you are not familiar with this part of our faith, I will teach you about it. And I'm going to talk with you about the history of it and who set, sort of set the model for it and who was at, there at the creation of it. I'm going to tell you about all of the ordinary people who have made this extraordinary effort succeed for over 80 years. And I hope, I hope you'll be inspired. I know, I know that I am. But my beloved, I also have a yearning for you this morning. 
I have a yearning that you will hear more and more deeply than just a call to open your wallet one more time. Because Lord knows, we get enough of those calls, don't we? I have a yearning that you will hear a call to making community. That you will feel yourself to be a part of this interdependent web of all existence which you and I affirm and of which we are a part. Have a yearning that you'll reach your hands and your hearts through that web to recognize that anybody we can identify with one click of our mouse is not far away. And that this endeavor of becoming something, becoming part of something bigger than we are, is at the heart of a future for all of us. This is my yearning that you will hear this in the stories I am about to tell. And yes, they are filled with fearful and fearsome things. Because that's real too. But I want you to hear the invitation. So on the second Sunday of 1939, the Reverend Waitstill Sharp and his wife Martha had come home from their church. He served the Wellesley Unitarian Church in Wellesley, Massachusetts. And they had come home and they were with their two young children having a family evening, <laughs> however that goes for ministers' families. When the phone rang, and it was one of the leaders of the denomination seeking to speak with Waitstill, and he said, Waitstill, I want you and Martha to go to Czechoslovakia. Now, for those of you who know your history, you probably know it better than I do, but that was the time when Hitler had made clear his intentions of bringing home all of the Germans who lived beyond the borders of Germany. And he had his eyes at that moment in what was called the Sudetenland, the, the border areas of Czechoslovakia where many Germans, folks of German descent lived. Part of the vision of empire was to bring Aryan Germans, not so much LGBT Germans or Jewish Germans, back into the fold of the fatherland. Wait still. I need you and Martha to go to Czechoslovakia because our denomination must do something to fight Hitler. And I want you to go and work with the people who are willing to partner with us to try to get as many refugees as possible out of Czechoslovakia and to safety. Have you asked anybody else? Said Waitstill. Seventeen ministers have turned me down. 
Now, at that time, the United States was not in the war, but it was clear that war was coming and that it was coming and it was going to be even more terrible. So it's not surprising that people were not willing to leave their families and the safety, relative safety, they enjoyed here in the United States. Well, Wade Still and Martha talked about it and thought about it, and while they did not want to leave their young children, they decided to say yes. For Wade Still, it was a matter of his religious faith. For Martha, too. But as Martha reflected on how difficult it was going to be to leave her children behind, she thought of all the families whose children might never live to grow up or might be separated from their parents. So they went to Prague not long afterwards, and they arrived full of zeal and fear, and a certain amount of naivete. Because if you haven't lived or grown up in a situation where your existence is under threat, it's hard to imagine how that might be. And it didn't take long for that naivete to disappear. They learned how to write messages in code. They learned how to forge visas. They learned how to game the system in their efforts to help as many refugees as possible leave. One of their partners in this effort was Dr. the Reverend Dr. Norbert Chapek. Some of you may remember that name. He was the minister of the Unitarian Church in Prague. He would go on to create the Flower Communion, which many of us celebrate in our churches, including, including here. And he would ultimately be arrested, tortured, and killed by the Nazis for his work. But Dr. Chapek was, was a partner, and he brought, introduced the Sharps to folks in the underground in Czechoslovakia who were doing this work. And what the Sharps brought was the privilege of being United States citizens. They could do things that other folks could not do because they carried that special status. At one point, Martha was tasked with bringing a group of very high-profile refugees to safety, and the only way they could do it was on a train through Germany. By this point, Hitler had invaded Czechoslovakia. By this point, the Sharps and all of their companions, but especially the Sharps, were under continuous surveillance by the Gestapo. They were, in fact, risking their lives. They got on the train, the, the, not Mrs. Sharp, but the others all had falsified papers and, and falsified identities as farmers and so on, but each of them had been specifically singled out by, by, the, by the Nazis. And at one point in Germany, the, an SS, the train stopped and a group of SS men got on and they told Mrs. Sharp, you have to get off the train. Two of your companions are going to be sent to a camp. Their names are not on your list. And she turned around and wrote their names real quick and said, yes, they are. 
and believe it or not, they were allowed back on the train and they made it, they made it to safety. They organized, at, by, at one point their, their offices were destroyed by the Nazis and they moved, to, they moved to Lisbon. And Martha in particular worked on organizing the, you may have heard of the kinder transport flights for children. She organized a, a group of refugee children who sailed to the United States and brought them to safety. It was her idea to give them all berets so they would be so they would be recognized. So the next time you pull a beret out of your closet, know that it has a very special meaning. They traveled back and forth. And they Martha writes, in one trip back, they came back to the United States. And again, at this point still the this country was not at, at war. And they encountered a reality that was so different from the reality they were living in Europe. You can imagine. She, she writes, children had enough to eat. <laughs> they were playing. There was none of this sense of, of, of danger. For seven years, the Sharps worked to save as many refugees as they possibly could. And they, of course, did not do it alone. If you are ever interested and you haven't seen this, actually the filmmaker Ken Burns has made a film called The Sharps War that tells this story. It's a beautifully done film. I think Eric and I might show it in one of our uh, sessions of Building the World We Dream About. The war, their war, their work in the war, destroyed their marriage. When the war was over, Waite still wanted his wife and he to go back and to have the life they had had before all of this happened. And for her, it wasn't possible. She was actually drafted to run for Congress, and she did. She lost. But she spent the rest of her life working for Jewish causes. She actually had a job in the Truman administration for a while. And for Wade Still, who continued to serve Unitarian congregations for the rest of his life, he did not put this behind him either, even though their marriage didn't survive. This became the central experience of his life. He would say, I'm just an ordinary person. I'm just as liable to do something evil as anybody else. Like we all are, right? Very few of us say, well, I think I'm going to be a hero now. And Martha said the same. They didn't see themselves as, they just saw themselves as doing what their beliefs called them to do and what they had the opportunity to do. In June 2006, they received an extremely precious and prestigious honor from Israel. They were named among the righteous among nations for risking their lives to save Jews from the Holocaust. 
by that time, both of them had passed away, but their children were there, along with several of the people they had saved as children were there to light the eternal, the eternal flame for this, for this ceremony. This was the birth of the Unitarian Universalist Service Committee. This was two decades before the two congregations came together. But this idea of service, of recognizing a need, whether it's halfway around the world or here in the United States, recognizing a need, hearing the call of our values, hearing the call of our faith to do what we can to address that need. So the UUSC has been in existence, as I said earlier, for over 80 years doing this work. It was the UUSC that pushed Congress to hold hearings on human rights abuses in El Salvador. Or El Salvador, just showing off. The UUSC worked with partners to try to stem the genocide in Darfur. I, I, I cannot even begin to list all of the different partnerships and all of the different types of work and areas of work. Anti-segregation efforts in Florida and Alabama. Significant involvement in the civil rights movement in the United States. All of these are things that have been, you know, have been commitments of the UUSC. And this year, in its yearly program, which is called Guest at Your Table, this year, the UUSC is particularly sing singling out and honoring the work of women leaders in human rights. following the call of the, of the United Nations. So I, I particularly appreciate being able to share with you the story of Martha Sharp. And, and what she did took a lot of courage. <laughs> and it took courage to stay faithful to what she had discovered about herself. Because once she started doing this, she knew that this was who she was meant to be. And it was... As I say, it took a lot of sacrifice. So this year, it's the leadership of women. And in your orders of service, and if you don't have one, we have plenty, there are four stories of women leaders who are currently partners with the Unitarian Universalist Service Committee. And you, I hope... This is part of my yearning. I hope you will read these stories. I hope you will follow the links to get more information. If you have children in the religious education program, they will learn more about this next week. And they may well bring home little boxes for you to consider what contribution or what donation you would like to, to, to make. Uh, I ask that the contributions, there's also an envelope, anything you'd like to do be brought back by Christmas Eve. I think that'll be nice to do that during one of the Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve services. But the four women highlighted this year whose stories of hope 
we want to share with you are each, they would each say they're ordinary, but they are extraordinary in their own right. So there is Pelanese Alofa, who hails from a small nation of islands in the South Pacific. And her islands, uh, climate change is rising the waters, raising the waters, and so her, her islands are, are more and more falling underwater. So she's a climate change activist. And what she does, she and her team, the first thing they do is to listen to the stories of the people who are being impacted. Just listen and offer empathy, companionship, advocacy. They help folks build seawalls. They help build tanks to collect fresh water. And they help connect people to one another to make all of these efforts more, uh, more meaningful. She, in fact, was part of one of the convenings gathering by the UUSC of indigenous climate activists from around the world. I believe it was in 2015. So she's been a UU longer than some of us have. <laughs> so she's the first, she's the first story of hope. The second one is Marta Velasquez. Marta Velasquez is from Honduras. She has been a lifelong feminist organizer. And she noticed when she was a young woman that it was, first of all, gender-based violence is a, is a serious issue in Honduras, and it's a major cause of migration to, to the north. But she noticed that women, who of course were most often the victims, didn't have the support, as much support as they needed. So her organization supports women who are, who are impacted by this. Y.Y. Nu is a, a, from a Rohingya family in Myanmar. And she was imprisoned with her family for seven years. She was going to be a lawyer, but she decided that she'd rather start a, a nonprofit. So she is helping provide legal services to, to her community. And Monica Korka is, is uh, probably the youngest of the bunch. She is, was, came here with her family as a refugee from Romania's uh, communist regime. And I particularly love what she says. We can't drown in the sorrow. So her organization, which is called Activate Labs, uses video and music and art to by immigration trauma. Which they do a, a lot of work at the border, at the border with Mexico, and I, I believe are going to be producing or are producing a video that will be released soon, done by by young people, young people at the border. I understand, or at least I imagine, that for some of you, like for me, these can be challenging stories here. They represent a reality that is so different from the reality most of us live in, day by day. It's almost like you have to, you have to jump the tracks in your brain to imagine what it can be.
So I want to honor that. I want to recognize that. And I want to also continue to invite you to navigate that space and to recognize that, that no, we can't drown in the sorrow. We can't drown in the trauma. We have to learn from the resilience and the courage and the commitment of our partners, because they are our partners. From the communities that love this world and love the human family so much that they're going to fight rising oceans and rising tides of whatever the next round of evil is that's coming down the path. And they're saying, come with us. Hear our stories. We are people like you. We love you. I see your hand and I'm going to come to you in a second. Don't waver, says Aurora Levins Morales. Don't let despair sink its sharp teeth into the throat with which you sing. Escalate your dreams. Share water, hold hands, and keep imagining so that we and the children of our children's children may live. Ashe. Amen. And blessed be. May we always be the arms to hold us when we falter. May we be always a circle of, he of healing, a circle of hope, and a circle of friends. May we always be a place where all of our siblings can be free. Be blessed and welcome home. <laughs>